Incoming transmission. Status report. Free will. Updates. Welcome back. The Literary Abominations podcast Uber feed is back in action, which, for those of you of a nervous disposition, might not be an entirely good thing because, well, here's the trouble. I'm back! Back with the kind of commentary that will make you uncomfortable about the whole existence thing. Back with the feedback shows that will make you question the value of the English language. Back with the news about adventures so ridiculous they'll make you question your sanity for listening to it. Back with free will, which we'll get to in a minute. First, since I've been off the air for the past three years, a quick pricey on what to expect if you're new here, or if you're coming back and you've forgotten. I run my podcast by a few rules. First rule, you will hear things that are not safe for work, and that many of you think are not safe for children or even for adults. Bad language, I tend to split infinitives. Foul language, I also talk about birds a lot. Obscenity, we all know what the fuck that means. Violence, sex, philosophy, arguments, and really bad jokes. This is not an environment for people who are squeamish or easily offended. I like entertaining ideas that I find terrifying, uncomfortable, disgusting, and unwholesome, and I have a very strange definition for all those words. For example, omelets qualify. Chances are very good that, no matter who you are, you will find something in this feed of which you disapprove. I know there are things in here that I disapprove of, and I host the show. Second rule. This is supposed to be fun. Life is wild and freaky and all kinds of interesting, and I'm interested in lots of it. I furnish my end of the fun in two ways. I provide stories, and I answer your feedback. I don't call it fan mail, because that implies you might not have anything you want to bitch me out about. Send in your complaints. Send in your death threats. Send in your provocative questions. If it's related to something in one of these stories, it's fair game. If it's not, well, I might answer it anyway. Third rule, only fake death threats. This is kind of obvious, but since internet stalking has become a little more of a blood sport in the last couple of years, I thought I ought to make this explicit. If you actually intend to kill me, we're going to have problems, and you really don't want that. But if you just want to see me sucked through an interdimensional portal and revenge tortured by my own characters while a thousand napalm-covered pigeons attack my genitals, then we're on the same page. Bonus points for creativity, and I occasionally give out prizes. Fourth rule. Whether in fiction or in commentary, all the views expressed here are not necessarily mine. I play the devil's advocate. A lot. I also caddy for him on weekends and occasionally get invited down to the infernal pit to manage the barbecues at the intramural softball games between the demons and the politicians. Final rule. One episode per week. Every Thursday. Sometimes more. Never less. One of the reasons I've waited this long to come back is that I didn't want to have to miss episodes anymore. Why Thursdays? Check out the first chapter and or episode of The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, then ask me that question again. Let's see, anything else? You'll be hearing news about some big doings going on here, but that's for after the first episode. There's that thing about the walrus. Uh, I can wait. Oh, here we go. Um... No, 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 they already know about the tracking system and the mind control, that thing about... 
Right. So I think I still owe one or two of you prizes from the triple threat double dip contest we ran back when this thing started. I have to dig the names out, but I haven't forgotten. I think it's Tristan and Millie, but I'm not positive. Feel free to send me a note nagging me about it. And now, finally, the elephant in the cliché room. Free Will. You'll have noticed that there used to be six episodes of Free Will, the sequel to Predestination, in this feed. Well, they're gone now. Turns out I had to change about a thousand little things about them once I finished writing the book. Continuity details, order of the scenes, timelines... So they're gone. They don't exist anymore. And if you downloaded them, congratulations, you just got a collector's item. Free Will gets rebooted tomorrow. Starting with episode one, it'll run every other week for a while, and then sometime probably in November or December, it'll run every week. In between, we'll run other stuff. Short stories you haven't heard yet, some non-fiction content aimed at those of you interested in writing and audio production, feedback shows, other stuff like that. And since it's been three years, there are some of you who will have forgotten all the important details in Predestination and will want to recap. So, without further ado, music please. Recap of The Antithesis Progression, Volume 1, Predestination, and Other Games of Chance. The year is 2125, and the United States is in the grip of a protracted Cold War with the Persian Empire. America's ability to hold on to the lunar colony is slipping as its economic power stagnates, and the presiding administration fears that, if the Peacock Throne gains a solid foothold in space, they will use it to reduce the United States to a vassal nation. When an intercept commissioning a contract murder arrives in the office of the United States National Security Advisor, it is collated and put in the stack of reports for review. It is only upon reading The Intercept that the National Security Advisor, one Reuben Briggs, realizes that he is its likely target. Leaving behind his career and his pursuit of corrupt Senator Bill Shelley, he flees Washington under the pretext of taking a midwinter vacation in Trinidad and disappears. Three years later, 50,000 miles above the Earth on space station Sidon, a man slips through customs on a false passport. Leaner, edgier, and older for his years on the run, the man now calling himself Joss Kyle has one day until his scheduled flight to Luna and the Outer Colonies. As far as he knows, the rest of the world believes him dead, and he's eager to start his new life on Mars. An avid card sharp in need of ready cash, Joss heads straight for a tavern near the spaceport widely known as the home turf of the best poker player in the solar system. His name is Alex Hart, and he's been waiting a year for the chance to play cards with Joss Kyle. Joss does not know that Alex Hart is a cover for Jim and Alyssa Hartman, a team of bounty hunters who've been tracking Joss's movements for a long time, hoping to collect the price on his head. After verifying his identity, they attempt to apprehend him, but he escapes their net with the help of merchant shipping tycoon and underworld boss Cassie Orenthal, who has also been waiting for him. Over the next 18 months, Joss becomes her lover and employee. She sets him up as a barkeep on space station Nineveh, a way station between the outer and inner colonies. There he runs surveillance and courier operations for her growing resistance movement, turning his knowledge of American security services against the very country he once helped defend. Meanwhile, 
News of his narrow escape has reached the ears of Senator Bill Shelley, who sends his son-in-law Percy to infiltrate the underground and discredit Joss. Percy conducts a series of carefully planned destabilizing actions, attacking VIPs, staging suicide bombings, and leaving everywhere the slogan, Lay Off Luna, leading the public to believe that the Lunar Independence Movement has gone rogue. Percy murders and assumes the identity of Lunar Dock Rat and corrupt resistance informant Scott Walters, and travels under his passport to Nineveh. He uses the identity to sell Persian military codes to Joss Kyle, then stages an attack in Joss's bar, using the confusion to plant evidence implicating Joss as a double agent on the take from the Persians. Joss is vaguely uncomfortable about his business dealings with Percy. Distrustful of the ease with which the Persian codes come into his possession and convinced that he's seen Percy before, he tries the codes himself. When they appear to be genuine, he sends them up the line to Cassie, along with a note about his suspicions. Upon receipt of the information, Cassie launches an investigation into Scott Walter's sudden disappearance from Luna without clearance. Senator Shelley, once a staunch advocate of lunar independence, uses Percy's terrorist actions as an excuse to change his position on lunar independence, aligning himself squarely against the colonies. We learn that he is being blackmailed by the Persian government, who wants the American military out of the way. With a newly strengthened Persian space fleet on the move toward important choke points in the colonial trade routes, the lunar colonies stand without protection from invasion unless they can flush out the terrorist element within their organization and progressively, all the evidence that Cassie and her compatriots discover points solidly at Joss Kyle. When the colonial government votes to institute martial law and broker a rapprochement with Washington, the minority throws in with Cassie's movement, and they launch a joint mission to apprehend Joss Kyle. However, Douglas Reeves, a judge who has secretly been aiding the resistance for years, does not trust Cassie's loyalties. Knowing Joss's reputation for escaping sticky situations, he hires in the Hartmans for extra muscle. While Cassie is en route to apprehend Joss on Nineveh, Percy uses Scott Walter's dead body to stage a suicide bombing on the lunar spaceport. Shortly thereafter, he is accosted by Scott Walter's friends who attempt to murder him on the tarmac. He manages to climb on board a departing ship and escape in the cargo hold. Joss, sensing the noose tightening around him, purchases a private ship and prepares for another run. When Cassie arrives on Nineveh, she puts him on trial before Reeves and the Hartmans. As they review the evidence, Joss remembers where he's seen Scott Walters before, putting the face together with the fact that it belongs to Bill Shelley's son-in-law. Unfortunately, with the real Scott Walters dead on Luna and Percy disappeared, he has no way to prove his suspicions and win his freedom. Instead, he convinces Cassie of his suspicions, and she allows him to slip her grasp as he's being arrested. Pursued by the Hartmans through the streets of Nineveh to his private dock, Joss manages barely to get aboard in time to blast away. Hot on his heels, Alyssa Hartman slips aboard, but gets trapped in the airlock, while Jim Hartman is left on the dock without his partner or his bounty. In the aftermath, having managed to conceal her complicity in Joss's escape, Cassie convinces Douglas Reeves that the resistance movement has been compromised on every level. Working together, they prevail upon Jim Hartman to help them find and purge the traitors in their midst in return for their promise that they will help him find and rescue Alyssa. That's the recap, folks. I'll see you tomorrow with Free Will, Episode 1. And remember, it isn't whether you win or lose. 
It's how you rig the game. Yeah.